0: You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Gilda Kirkpatrick is an Iranian-born New Zealand author, creative director, and television personality. She starred as a main housewife on The Real Housewives of Auckland, which aired on Bravo. She was also the first contestant to be eliminated from Dancing with the Stars in 2018. She also wrote two educational series of sci-fi comic books called Asterons. But more recently, she's entered the fray on Twitter and other social media and amassed thousands of followers. Let's hear what she has to say about her journey and the state of play in politics today. Welcome to The Crunch.
1: Thank you, Cam. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, you know, I've been following you on Twitter for a while and we've had a couple of private messages backwards and forwards on various issues. And then I saw the uh, spy article that Ricardo uh, did in uh, in the Herald. And there was a couple of things that were mentioned in there. And I thought, I need to get Gilder on my show. Because um, <laughs> I think that the Herald only sort of kind of touched on some of the aspects there. They were more focused on your soirees that, as they described them, you know, with the various politicians. So, yeah, I just wanted to get you on the show so we can talk a little bit about your background, how you found the freedom movement, and now why you're getting involved actively in politics.
1: Well, to be fair, I've been here for 33 years, and Mm. throughout the years, I've always kind of been involved whether it's been going to the fundraisings or actually knowing the politicians meeting them in social settings Mm. or following their policy just out of my own interest so I kind of um, 27 years I think or something like that I've been involved and then while I was studying you know I also you know, as a student, when you're, um, you know, a junior, you kind of get involved anyway because it's just what you know younger people do. So I've never been that far. However, I think um, in the media, uh, the focus has been more on my social life and mm. you know going to charities and things like that rather than the actual political,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, involvement. So you came here thirty-three years ago. That's nineteen ninety, right? That's correct. Yeah, so that's after the revolution in Iran.
1: Yes, that's after the war.
0: Yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? What prompted you to come to New Zealand? And what prompted your family to come to New Zealand? And what drove that?
1: Well, actually, I came here with my sister. And at the time, she was, you know, before we came to New Zealand, she was, overseas and um, studying physics, physics engineering. And then at that point I was 16 and my high school kind of was done and uh, we were like looking for somewhere to go and study. And obviously, you know, the first place comes in mind are countries that you already sp- speak their language. And mm. New Zealand was English. So we don't have to go and study for two years in order to, you know, um, understand what's going on or go and study. So we came to New Zealand, and at the time, it wasn't that hard to come in. It, wasn't, it was not it a very safe country uh, for two girls without our family, without my mom and dad, to migrate here. And, um, yeah, we've been here since. We both studied here and uh, got our degrees, and we've always worked very hard. And we have married local people and um, have children. So we kind of lived most of our adult lives in New Zealand.
0: Yeah. But it must have been a bit of a shock coming from a post-revolution Iran to New Zealand.
1: Well, of course, especially, you know, having witnessed the revolution, how things changes literally overnight, and then going straight into a bloody war for eight years. It Mm. kind of, you know, as a child, you can't help, but, you know, it, it, it just sinks into your psyche. You can't help but notice um, You know, how politics works, um, geopolitics works, how, you know, the relation between different countries affects their people and their financial situation or, uh, you know, how the wars come about. You know, it's it, it, very earlier on, you kind of become very switched on about what goes on and you start living in a reality that's a bit different to what a child is supposed to usually uh, understand. Uh, but then again, you know, it becomes part of your life. And for example, uh, me or my sister, we've never managed to ch- to separate, you know, what goes on globally and politically from our everyday lives because we know how it can affect uh, and mm. changes your life.
0: Because, you know, the, the the revolution and then the war afterwards had a huge impact on Iran in terms of taking away freedoms and those sorts of things. Has that coloured your thinking, particularly around what happened during COVID?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, they say once specimen was shy. Once (laughs) you've gone through that um, um, sort of change uh, and you've experienced it, uh, how hooked, hopeless it is to have other people make all your decisions for you and you're basically the zombie that has to go through this motions of living without having having any choice so it's kind of um it it worries you all the time but even more so when you have children even more so when once you've um left the country that you love and your own land and you know your family and migrate somewhere else for a better life, for a life that you can have choices, that you can have a say, that you can vote and choose your future, um, or even participate. It might not happen that you go and vote, but at least you know that you can participate. You have that freedom. To me, um, especially now that I have uh, two children here, it's extremely important. And to see that those freedoms and rights and all that kind of, jumbled away and um, for the greater good uh, it, it concerns me because I already know and I lived under that situation where you know it was about the Islamic world, it was about the expansion of Shia Islam, it was about you know control over certain countries in the Middle East, it was about yeah. control of power and then you know they use that as an excuse and they take you, your very basic freedom as a human being away And as we saw during COVID, you know, as human beings, we couldn't, like, go and um, seek certain operations if we weren't vaccinated. We were locked in our own home. You know, they they would say, oh, you can't, you know, drive to, you know, an hour away. You can't do this. You can't do that for the greater good. Um, So although the difference is, you know, there's a big difference, but uh, as an outcome, it's exactly the same thing that is not giving value to your freedom as a human being mm. without any, you know, um, yeah. right reasoning.
0: Do you think New Zealanders take their freedom for granted?
1: I think they did, but I think what happened with COVID woke a lot of people up. People who, you know, usually minded their own business and really didn't have any interest in politics People usually, if they you know, they live in a beautiful country and they have a good lifestyle, or generally they don't care about international politics. You know, they they believe in their politicians because they're like, oh, we voted for them; they're after our best interests, <laughs> and something, yeah, something like COVID happens, and they become like, oh, hang on a minute, it actually doesn't work like that. And traditionally, maybe to a lesser extent, but. As the world is becoming more of a one entity, um, you know, the pressure that comes from, um, for the greater good concept, um, you know, implicated and sort of dictated to the government around the world as like an advisor, oh, we are all moving towards this. But at, at the end of the day, it's not something that the people of New Zealand, for example, this w- woke up one day and came to the conclusion that hey, this is better for our society. You know, it's somebody else with certain ideologies so- sitting somewhere and has influence over our politicians that we voted in. Um, mm. And that that kind of um, global thinking to me is like a religious expansion, religious thinking. It it derives from an ideology. Yeah. Um, so that's scares me. I don't like that. I. That's why I'm kind of... um And I've noticed that after the COVID, a lot of Kiwis have woken up to it. People mm. who had no idea about what goes on, they used to think, oh, UN goes to certain war zones and stop, stops the war. They, they had extremely basic idea about the involvement uh, of these international um organizations and entities who are putting all these agendas out and rules out, which are politicians also participate in uh, people weren't aware of that and luckily a lot of people have woken up Uh, a lot are still very um kind of hesitant to get their head around you know the power of these organizations and they don't want to accept it and they think Mm. it's a conspiracy theory but none of these organizations um, are shy about it. In fact, you can read everything that they are planning yeah. and our our government's involvement, our politicians' involvement on their website, their profiles are all there. There is nothing uh, conspiracy about it. It's not a theory. It's 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 a planning action that's that's happening, <laughs> and our politicians are involved. You know what is wrong with talking about it?
0: it well, that, it's that's okay. the, that's the thing, isn't it? They are very open about it. The WEF, Absolutely. for example. They say they, you know, they they boast about penetrating the cabinets and you know um, having politicians that they control and uh, coming up with policies like what the, the the agriculture policy that they implemented in Sri Lanka, for example, which destroyed Absolutely. the economy. They're doing this and they're they're quite open about it. And if only people would wake up and see it. I guess it's it's the role of people like yourself with your following on Twitter and, you know, our role here at Reality Check Radio is to educate people that there are some people out there that are not politicians, that aren't elected, that want to control everything from money to uh, the way that you interact, to what you eat, to the way you behave.
1: And are extremely open about it. Nobody's hiding it. There's a whole... Um, attitude that some people have at the moment you start talking about something bigger than, you know, uh, our own um, um, parliament. They get all like, oh my God, you're crazy. What are these things you're saying? And they really do not go and read for themselves. It takes half a day out of your life. Go and understand it. You know, I don't have problem with certain policies that are putting out there because we are overpopulated, etc. But the way they're going about it is um, worrisome. It's very worrying for me, um, who's a mother of two children. And our politicians somehow, they don't talk about it either. Their names are on their websites, their pictures on their websites, you know, yeah. uh, our, um, you know, Ministry of Health is taking direct orders from World Health Organization. So mm. why not talk about it? Why the moment we open our mouth, uh, we are ridiculed um, and pushed back uh, by saying all oh, these conspiracy theorists are talking again. What is conspiracy about it? I have yet to see somebody come and explain to me why is this categorized under conspiracy theory or this word they use, Mm. anti-vaxxer. Myself and my children, all my family, we've had every vaccination available for human beings um, (laughs) all our lives, you know, even when you go travel to Africa or India, all this vaccination that you have to get. My children, you know, have had everything, uh, so myself, but one refusal, for something that we were unsure about because it kind of came out a bit too quick. And, Mm. you know, we didn't even know really about the uh, nature of this disease. And what we were hearing from these experts who got prizes all their lives, they've got doctors and professors, and they've written all these, you know, uh, medical journals. They are, they were telling us that, Hey, hang on a minute. It actually is this. And they were guiding people, but they were all like censored and, any question we raised was ridiculed. Mm. Why? Because a politician told you that it's a good thing. You know, uh, it turns out that it wasn't.
0: Yeah, it does but, turn out. Well, we, the, those of us who said no, we want to choose, and we're choosing no. They labelled us. They demonised us. They segregated us. You know, they brought in a system where there was two classes of citizens in New Zealand. I mean, who would have ever thought that would have happened in New Zealand?
1: Yeah, it, it is just the things they did get away with still, till, you know, I'm baffled. And uh, it did happen overnight. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, all my friends and, you know, people uh, who knew me, they always used to ask me about the revolution in Iran huh? and what went from a country so advanced and so, you know, um, civilized to, all of a sudden, women were like, not even have no rights, and you know, how did that transition happen? And I would say it happened overnight. And people would think that I'm exaggerating, but when things happen based on ideology, under on absolute power, we saw what happened here overnight. We were, you know, locked in our own homes. With one case of COVID, the whole country <laughs> went under lockdown. Mm. And when you think about it, I'm still healthy. My family are healthy. All my friends who didn't vaccinate are healthy. We don't get sick. Nothing happened to us. However, I have all these friends who are vaccinated and some people that I work with. They are now saying that, oh, my God, why am I getting so, much, so sick? Why am I continuously catching cold? And they're all trying to boost their immune system. But nobody talks about that. You know, what about us? We were supposed to be dead by now. But yeah. they're not. So at the end of the day, any rational mind would look and say, okay, well, They have a point, maybe. Mm. But no, people are just some, not all. Ignore it. They don't talk about it. They think if they ignore it, it will go away. It won't go away. It was an experience that uh, we went through, and it was very public. It's part of our history now.
0: At what stage of the COVID mess did you decide, I've had enough, I'm going to go to Wellington? I mean, you live in a very nice house in one of the best suburbs in Auckland and you saw some people there camping in Parliament. At what stage did you say, that's it, I have to go down there, I have to be there?
1: Um, it was in the first couple of I think I was there on day three, mm. and I watched the coverage of the media and how the presenters were ridiculing people. And how, you know, on social media, people are attacking people, saying anti-vaxxer conspiracies, theory foil heads, really disrespectfully. They were talking to this group of people that actually had enough, you know, rational thinking and um, sort of research to go there and say, and they had enough respect for their autonomy and their uh, human rights to go and, you know, leave their homes stay in their cars, going in the middle of cold to live in a tent uh, by the parliament. And I saw these people getting ridiculed. And, you know, uh, I thought I, I can, as a um, citizen of New Zealand and somebody... Uh, who is the mother of two children in this country, I I can ignore my fellow citizens, you know. I I will go and help if that's going to give it a more balanced coverage because they were saying, well, these people are filthy and are smelly and are and fringe of the society. Mm. And for years and years, as you know yourself, I've been in the media and everybody, uh, and I kind of know basically all the people who are who are of this society and i've been you know friends with a lot of yeah. politicians and for years so they can stick that label to me i'm not yeah. a fringe some you know smelly god knows who that they labeled these people mm. so i went there and um i think it was the first time that i actually um and so i had a phone call from some of my friends who are in yachting yeah. and um they said, Well, are you going? We'll go. And I was like, Okay. So we went and I think Jason Harrison, he said that he was coming. And all of a sudden the first, you know, kind of normal article came out on a sports section, I think of Herald it was, mm. uh, that said that I was going and so and so was going and so on. So and then I once I was there, of Duplessis Allen gave me an interview on the radio. Yeah. And so it, I kind of felt that um And people were making fun. Oh, is Gilda gone there? Has she got a box? Has she got a limousine? Has she got this and that? That's fine. You can talk about it and have fun on my expense. But at the end of the day, uh, I felt that I gave it a little bit of exposure and took away that sort of taboo that was attached. And people were like, I had a whole bunch of people from Oakland who are very well connected, super wealthy, super well educated. They all came down. After mm. I went there, they didn't stay for the whole three weeks, but they came for two days, three days, one day, you know, at least they yeah. showed face. So, yeah, and I, I think the treatment of people during that time uh, in Wellington, it was despicable. Um, and, you know, I would hate to see that again happening.
0: Yeah, I was watching, you know, live streaming. I was watching Chantal Baker and other people live streaming. And I was getting angrier and angrier and angrier that our media were working hand-in-glove, lockstep with the government. They were standing up there beside the politicians in parliament buildings and not going and talking to the protesters. I mean, every other protest that's there, whether it's Greenpeace or school kids, you know, doing whatever, the politicians come out and talk to them and they uh willing to meet with them, they cover them, they get a spokesperson on the television, you know, they do all of those sorts of things. And what we saw here was an unwillingness of the media and the politicians in the parliament to go and talk to some people who had genuine grievances. And okay. it angered me. And so, you know, what... Actually, one of your neighbours is a mate of mine, and he said, well, I've got a plane, let's go down to Wellington. And so we all piled into his plane, and we had another guy with a plane. There's a whole lot of us. We flew down to Wellington. A friend picked us up at Parapram Airport and drove us to the protest. And, yeah, we stayed there for three days. And what I found when I got there is that it was nothing like the media had claimed. There wasn't filthy, dirty people People were, you know, organized. Um, there wasn't any rubbish. The people were being nice to each other. It wasn't a rowdy, horrible protest with lots of, you know, white supremacists and angry, violent people. It was ordinary Kiwis who were frustrated.
1: I mean, I mean, you saw it yourself. It was the most diverse uh, community. There were some extremely sort of... Uh, kind people who were donating like I could help just by sort of getting some fuel you know mm. for the, you know, just basic things but they were actually cooking and um, you know had shifts making coffee all day making different type of food it, it, it was amazing people were bringing organic stuff from their um, farms donating and it, it there were of all walks of life and race in that community. And a lot of those people actually were um, traditionally voters for labor mm. um, and to see or the greens. And for them, it was such a disappointing sort of wake up to reality call. Um, and, you know, it didn't help that politicians like uh, Michael Wood, uh, who are getting handsomely paid while everybody else has to shut their businesses, and get kicked out of their, you know, jobs, etc. For him, his paycheck was still coming in to go and take the mic in, in the parliament and call um, this very diverse group of voters and taxpayers to call us, um, you know, a river, a river, of, river of filth, a river of filth. I mean, like, who, with an ounce of respect for human beings and human dignity would come out and say such thing as a, you know, I might go and call a group of people idiots or whatever, but as a as a as somebody who is in the parliament the people have voted, I'm paying for your wage as you're not a private citizen to go and stand there and call these people you can see with your own eyes they are just ordinary people like me mm. why are you calling us, you know, river of filth what kind of a language, and then uh, Mr. Mallard Uh, with saturating people. There were children amongst those Mm. people. The police's brutality. It it was, you know, I saw it with my own eyes. I wasn't watching somebody's feed. I wasn't looking at TV, hearing from reporters. I was there on the ground myself, and I was witnessing what was happening. Um, Inexcusable, really. Mm. And, you know, the most disappointing thing for me was that really no opposition came down there. except. Peters and I think my king came down, and Winston Peters. And then I think David Seymour kind of came. He didn't come in inside, but uh, he came, he was down there talking to some, you know, shop owners or cafe yeah. owners. Yeah. And he got attacked and like, almost by the media. That how dare you go down there and talk to us? It's like, what is wrong with us? We don't have leprosy. We are, you know, um not contagious, we are a healthy group of people, we all pay taxes, we are, you know, voters, mm-hmm. what have we done for us to, you know, be so judgmental about us, you know? Um, it, it was like, I lost my respect a lot um, to um, a lot of media personalities, about, uh, a lot of journalists that were twisting the facts and truth, and um, the manipulation that I saw so myself and I worked it out and I, at the time I put it online, that they, they were manipulating, um, Twitter, you know, a lot of bot mm. accounts that, yeah. So it, it was very ugly. I'm yeah. glad that, um, it's over, but at the but same it, time, I, I don't feel like it's been properly addressed by the oppositions or, uh, people in charge, like, um, you know, uh, Chris Hopkins and, mm. um, Ashley, um,
0: you know, Bloomfield, yeah, yeah, Bloomfield. Um, so, I, I so have you seen River of Freedom, the film that's just been released?
1: Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Right, I've seen parts of it, but I haven't seen the whole thing yet. I unfortunately, I haven't managed to get myself there. Um, yeah,
0: I, I went. I, I went to the premiere, and it's a beautiful film, and it, it encapsulates the feeling that I felt when I was there. And it stands in stark contrast to the other documentaries that have been released, like the stuff, Fire and Fury thing, which I didn't see any of what they were saying in Fire and Fury. All I saw was people that were hurting, that wanted to be heard, and the violence that was brought to the parliament protest was brought by the police and not anybody else. Yes, Greg. Yeah. Has that scarred you to the point where you feel that you need to be engaged and get some of these politicians around your house so that we can understand why they did certain things or to hold them to account? Because, I mean, you've had David Seymour at your house. You've had Winston Peters. You've had Simon O'Connor. Winston Peters obviously wasn't one of those who refused to talk. He was one who did. Tell us about those meetings you've had at your house and what you've discovered by having them there.
1: Well, I had Mad Kings, too, mm. um, at, very earlier in the year. I, I just um, feel like a lot of people that I have around and people that I know, they are showing interest. They want to know, unfortunately, um, their trust in media is gone. Mm. And what media shows, um, the interviews with the politicians – it really, you don't really hear the questions you want. You, you know, it's all like um, baiting each other, answering each other. You know, the mm. interviewer is fighting with the... So it, it's not very... Really, um, it's kind of like got you... Journalism,
0: sense. yeah. Got gotcha you yeah. journalism, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's a sensational got you journalism that um, gives them some headline that will get some clicks, etc. So each time I invited about 150 to 170 people, and from all walks of life. I mean, um, they aren't like people think. Oh, by association, guiltless friends are all very privileged and wealthy. I, absolutely, I'm one of those people that, um, you know, I have friends who are beneficiaries. I have, I've got a very big variety of friends because I don't mm. really care. You know, what's what am I going to get, you know, from my wealthy friends, for example? It's more of a character of a person that I'm attracted to or yeah. a person that I can conversations with and, a, you know, about meaningful things rather than just stupid, superficial stuff. So they were the people that um, were more confused on this oppositions. I mean, we've had labor and grain uh, at the helm, so they don't really need a coverage from my perspective they, yeah. they, they've they had every opportunity out there uh, but you know it is very different when you meet a politician in person and you ask your concern and question and you get to watch how they answer it mm-hmm. if they are like um, sort of like trying to weave off of your question answering like a politician or they are answering it like a human being who has concern rationally and, you know, with respect to you and your question without you know, trying to, you know, uh, discount it. And um, it ha- a lot of these people, they employ very many people, um, you know, they are teachers, they are, so they are involved with a whole bunch of other people. And I think for them, it was interesting what they are from migrant communities, you know, from India, from China. So for them, I think um, it was really um, sort of a great opportunity to uh, attend to and uh, voice their concerns. I wasn't promoting any of these politicians. No,
0: you are just uh, facilitating a, a absolutely discussion. Be-
1: absolutely, because it is crucial to not go and be lazy and just vote because you've traditionally done so or because you've seen something on the media. No, go and answer yourself. Mm. And figure out and have a meet and greet and get to know this person or character, see how they are responding to you. Are they respecting you? Or are they just treating you like, a you know, idiot? Um, I'm, to, you know, all my guests, they really appreciate. It. And there were different groups of people, some kind of cross, but mostly different. Um, and I think it was very important for them. And it was really good to see um, politicians not standing on a podium, just talk. And say mm-hmm. whatever they want that they practiced. Uh, it was good to not see politicians being hassled for, you know, got you moment by journalists. It was very genuine, one on one, concerned citizen talking to their politicians who are, you know, um, wanting their vote. I, I think it, it worked. It was um, for both, you know, it was great and a lot of people came back and gave me feedback on what they thought or um you know uh, how they perceived it and it helped people to be more informed and when they're going to vote to vote informed if they didn't like this certain group of people that came and talked in my house you know the opposition right party for example center right then if you're voting labor then vote informed knowing mm. who you're voting for
0: absolutely and and so what was the impression you got? Let's just go through them. You've had Matt King. What was your impression of Matt King and how he engaged with with the people at your house?
1: Um, I, I really like Matt. I think um, he was he was being very genuine. He was being honest. He had, he was down at the, um, at the
0: protest, protest.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like he's one of those guys who's not afraid to you know talk about his opinions and he, he's not playing a political game you know he's not playing political games um so i, I liked it like it was genuine um he had a lot of good stuff to talk about in regards to the farmers and you know the rural new zealand it was yep. really good and then we had um david who um
0: david seymour yep.
1: from, yes david seymour from Ag, was an old friend of mine Really good. He he talked more about the co-governance and, you know, and people, people had different questions for him. Some he was comfortable to answer, some he didn't want to answer or address really. He was um, not too comfortable to get involved with uh, certain questions. Um, Vincent Peters was very frank. He came very well prepared and well sort of uh, we had some people in the crowd who, are voters of Green or, say, Labour. And they were asking some hard questions, and he had all facts and figure in a file he brought with him, so he was very well prepared, and I think people liked how frank he was. Now there are people who say, oh, that's his job, and he's been in politics for a long time, and he knows what to say. Um, Correct? But I listened to him, and I had my questions, people had their questions, and I didn't find anything to doubt him even for a second, but that's Mm my right as a person. Maybe you don't like his policies or, you know, the way he's approaching things. But, and then we have Simon O'Connor who was amazing. He came with um, five of uh, the um, candidates for national, in different area, like Mangare, like different areas. Um, They were um, amazing women, extremely inspiring. Uh, One of them had five kids, uh, had three, um, you know, degrees came from a migrant family, you know, 11 of them slept in the same room, mm-hmm. uh, house. Um, they, they all had very amazing, genuine, interesting stories. We had a lovely lady, she was Maori, and she was wonderful. Like her journey also um, was inspiring. Really good group of, uh, one lady was um, Chinese and you know, all of them had these amazing stories of struggle and extremely high achievers, all kind of had children except one. Uh, she was the youngest. And it was really good to see a different side of National rather than just seeing, uh, say, Chris Luxon
0: uh, mm.
1: on TV and, you know, Zealand and Chris Luxon this and Chris Luxon that. It was good to see, okay, who are these people behind National also? Um you know, very diverse, really cool. And Simon himself was is very franky. Uh, I um, uh, did some activities and attended to some protests for, um, you know, f- freedom um, and human rights um, for women and generally in Iran. Um, and he was kind enough to help the Iranian community and actually attended these protests. So he, he's a lovely person and, you know, his view also is a is very humane and rational about you know what happened during the um, COVID time and mm. you know the vaccines etc. Um, and yeah, really heartwarming. You know the questions he answered very honestly and thoroughly. It, 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 he didn't sound like a politician. He sounded like a very caring human being. Yeah, so uh, I guess but. Other people who were there may not agree with me on certain things, and that's mm. fine, as that's long as right. you know. Yeah, as long as you make your decision informed, you know. Yeah. that's all we want. We can't dictate our thoughts and ideology to other people. We can make them aware, but um, that's all we can do.
0: It's interesting too the, the things you've just said about Simon O'Connor, because the ACT Party is standing Brooke van Velden in the electorate against Simon O'Connor. It's your electorate. He's your MP. Yeah. And and the ACT Party and the media have painted Simon O'Connor as some sort of religious weirdo uh, who's anti-women. But your comments suggest that he's got a deeper kind of compassion and will stand up for rights and freedoms, particularly for women, which is in complete opposite of what a, the ACT Party is saying, and B, what the media are saying.
1: Again, um, that's why in the first place I had these gatherings because what comes out of media or on the platforms of, you know, this politician who go on TV or whatever, it's not necessarily what you experience in reality with, with uh, these candidates and these people. And Simon is a great example. He, I, I don't know any other politi- politician, uh, mayor, who's been more active on helping us um, in our journey um, towards um, bringing awareness and um, getting some help for uh, Iranians, Iranian women Mm. uh, in in Iran. You know, uh, he's been extremely supportive. He's showed up, he's put his time, very, very respectful. I've never, ever experienced anything from him to, you know, give me that impression that he's not, other way, you know, um, or he's got anything against women. And mm. all the candidates that uh, he came with, they were all women and, you know, they had a lot of respect for him. So, yeah.
0: yeah. It's an interesting observation because, you know, that's the problem we've got in New Zealand society is that people inform themselves through the lens of the media. And we've seen during COVID just how shameless the media are at actually following the government line or an agreed narrative and that's the narrative they've built about simon o'connor and yet here's a very personal view from someone who was in your house that's completely different from the narrative that the media have, have shown us and it tells me that it's more important to actually bother to go and engage with politicians directly or via sort of meetings like this. And, I mean, that's how I've been working in politics all my life was I take people as I find them. And you develop a personal relationship with them by engaging in discussion. And you might not agree with them 100%, but you may find them to be different people to what they've been portrayed in the media. And I've found that. And now you're explaining that as well, which which is great. It's fantastic to see and i guess that's one of the benefits of your what they call what the media call soirees at Gilda's house <laughs> so.
1: well you know um to it i know it sounded a lot of people like what is this why are they calling you this no. but um, at the end of the day i think again um it was like how they in the sports section they put down that we went down to wellington mm. for the protest this was i think again in a as a social article but from that window um, and I want to thank the editor uh, for allowing the QA to be um, you know uh, they, they they put it in the article as it was mm. and I was very grateful and I was like wow that's that's you know although I talked about WEF and stuff like that but um, I was amazed that Harold actually went ahead and put it in as it was and you know they didn't um i, I thought uh, discounting all the funny like you know <laughs> little digs in the house price and uh, stuff like that um i was grateful that i actually brought or printed my words or put it out there which was good i think that's a little bit of a victory it's a bit of a change
0: yeah and in, in some of those words i mean let's look at the quote one of the ones that i it's made me want to give you a call and get you on the show you said that you wanted to see the maintenance of personal freedom of speech, autonomy and respect for human rights and equality, clear positioning of political parties on co governance and a comprehensive agenda on our education curriculum within schools.
1: Yes. I and think
0: that, it is a yeah. yeah, no, no, go ahead. It's it you know, that's a quite a broad range of things, but the first thing that you said was personal freedom of speech and autonomy. It,
1: It is important, especially, you know, like um, Kiwis again, they don't know how lucky they are. When you look at New Zealand, we are in an environment, we are in a type of country where we can actually approach our um, uh, politicians. We can go to this gathering, we can invite them to our houses. And I have this one-on-one personal connection with them and ask our, you know, address our concerns. But when you look at a country like Iran or you look at Mexico, oh, these big countries, you know, politicians are surrounded by guards and nobody can go near them. They are never in, you know, sort of um, smaller settings, you know, they are just untouchables. But in New Zealand, it's not like that and not to take advantage of this freedom and this opportunity that we have is really our loss if you don't, you know, go hard and get there. At the end of the day, if you have a business, you want to employ people. If you, you know, you go and meet them, you meet your, you know, child's teacher, you meet people, you know, we want to employ or give our lives to or trust or, you know, we meet them in person and get to know them and... But but why is it so different? These politicians are in charge of our lives. They are there to represent us. They are the public servants. We should be able to, you know, not make a big deal of, um, oh, my God, why do you invite them to your house? And, like, uh, that's ridiculous. So why? Why is it ridiculous? It it is our right to practice it. Mm. We should take advantage of, uh, of our freedom. Every single person in this country matters, you know, regardless of, Their religion, their race, their background, everybody's opinion and, you know, power matters. If they can vote, they can make a decision uh, for the rest of us. So, um, yeah, I really encourage people to be less shy about um, politicians and get involved with them a bit more personally.
0: I mean, that's what I've always done. And I was encouraged by that, not by my father being involved in politics, but by my mother she would say to me, "Just talk to these people um, and by talking to people, you can find common ground and I think that's one of the things that's been lacking in New Zealand society for quite some time with this polarization and you know segregation that and and racism that's just very nasty we've forgotten how to talk to people and That's why freedom of speech is so important because we've got these abilities to speak and we should speak. And you've been doing that with the politicians by having them in your house. Uh, You engage with them on Twitter and other social media. Um, But that's what more more people need to be doing. We need to be actually talking with these politicians face-to-face so that they will listen to us instead of telling us and giving us orders and telling us what to do uh And doing things that you know I think you used the term um you know basic human uh, decency and some of the things that have been done in the last uh particularly the last four years are completely against basic human decency
1: yeah i i i think um yeah, you know one of the things that got me really you know kind of i was so disappointed and I was shocked by hearing it was that, you know, I, I remember we had, I remember remember there was like a protest. It was a Black Lives Matter protest, mm. Black Lives Matter.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, We had one in, in Auckland, I think. And like around the same time, there was this policy, I think it was a week after, I can't remember, that came out that, you know, if you get COVID or if you're unwell and you go to the hospital, if you are Maori or Pacific Islander, you uh, automatically will, you know, go through the emergency faster. And I, 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 w- I was like, wow. So you virtual signal and you say black lives matter in the midst of COVID, uh, but black lives don't matter if you are um, from Somalia, mm. if you're from Ethiopia. That doesn't matter anymore, right? Because yeah. if your child is sick or your grandmother is sick and they go to hospital, they won't fall into the category of Pacific Island or Maori. So what kind of a virtue signaling is it? Does it matter or does it matter? Which is it? You know, don't give that thing and then go and preach the other thing or, you know, your actions and behavior should um, kind of go hand-to-hand with your words if you are politicians. Um, But yeah, that was, you know, especially as an immigrant, you know, when I look sometimes, I just feel so disturbed by how you know certain conversations uh, continuously is revolving around race
0: mm.
1: why why we for years we've educated our children we've you know educated our societies that race doesn't matter it doesn't matter what color you are it doesn't matter you know what country you are we're all equal human beings we all have rights as human beings to be respected to uh, be heard etc etc. And then all of a sudden, the whole conversation is gone to race again. You know, mm. it's like paddling backward. Why paddling backward? Why are we doing this? Um, which is disturbing, again, especially as um, sort of um, an immigrant who wasn't a colonizer. <laughs> you know, why Why are you in the midst of this, you know, getting overlooked? Yeah, the, but,
0: funny, thing, um, the funny thing is, Gilda, is... You call yourself an immigrant, but your beliefs about human rights and getting along with everybody and all that's the way New Zealand used to be. And you're calling yourself an immigrant, but you're actually more Kiwi than most Kiwis are.
1: Yeah, but I think I do that by default because every time <laughs> I open my mouth, People say, you know, like especially online, go back to Iran and, you know, foreigners don't tell us what to do, etc. Although like some of those people probably weren't born when I came here, Um, you know, and I've always studied hard. I worked hard, paid my taxes, employed people. You know, I've always done the right thing in my head as a responsible citizen. You know, I never... um, ever infringed on you know um, other people's rights and people have this thing oh you married somebody rich and you're you know uh, you don't know anything about anything and you know what qualifies you and uh, you drive a nice car which is ridiculous because how is that a measure of anything
0: <laughs> it's not. It's just, it's just I, not. I
1: i'm not I'm not putting any burden on you as a taxpayer am i no i'm contributing i'm helping the the wheel of economy in this country mm. you know I'm employing people if anything um you should you shouldn't be criticizing me. what have I taken away from other people but you know we help charities or do they why is none of that in people's view a, a good thing but you know they criticize you for it. So what do you want me to do? Be, I don't know, a gang member? Would I you think, respect me more?
0: <laughs> I, I think they just want you to shut up. I think they just they just don't like that your opinions, and it would be best if you just shut up. I mean, that's what happened to me. You know, um, we've both gone through similar things. And if they don't like what you're saying, and they can't challenge you with logic or rational thought or or a cogent argument... Then they just tell you to shut up, and it's unedifying it's unpleasant um but people like yourself keep on speaking because if you stop speaking, they win, so it's mm. better to keep speaking
1: yeah i'm I'm not it doesn't bother me the comments but um it's um it's interesting though when you think about it, you know everything that I'm saying is because I care for. My fellow citizens and I care for this country and, um, you know, the future of it. I I have a lot of, kind of wealthy friends who actually don't care. They're six months overseas and, you know, they don't get involved. They're like, oh, whatever, let them be. Um, but, yeah, I can't do that because, to me, it is one of the most important, you know, duties a human being can have, a decent human being can have to care about uh, the community and fellow citizens, um, regardless of religion and ideology. It's, you know, our basic rights.
0: Yeah, that's what it comes down to, basic human rights and decency. And uh, for too long, um, our major political parties have have not shown us that. And that's why we're seeing a rise of some of these smaller parties that are there, that are actually practising what they preach. And... um, You know, this election, hopefully some of them will get into the parliament and we can have a bit of a change. I I certainly think we're going to see a change of government, absolutely. But what that looks like is up to the voters. And that's where your comment earlier, uh, when you said inform yourself, get yourself some knowledge about these politicians, choose someone that reflects your values uh, or as close to your values as you can get and, and make sure you vote. Because if you don't vote, you really have got no right to complain. Mm,
1: you're absolutely correct and i hope and i wish that we see more people kind of stop looking at at this as like a rugby game you know Mm. it's this team versus that team oh i'm in this team i'm in that team or you know like um uh, one of these programs on tv that people are so used to the format of you know voting for people Mm. um because it's definitely not that everybody who's other, you know, their Green Party voters, or Labour Majority wants you know, they have good intentions somewhere.
0: We but, all want the same thing, it's just how we do it.
1: Yeah, but you know, step into reality and check it out and see exactly where these promises are made. Are they going to be deliverable deliverable? Are they going to stick by them? Um, have they these politicians out there have they promised certain things that they've already delivered, you know, look at this basic stuff. And and then if you still choose to choose whoever you want, then that's fine. But go and don't treat it like a sports team, you know, mm. just because you've traditionally have voted national, it doesn't mean you necessarily, you know, you just go and tick the box, see what, what they're standing for, what they're telling you. Do you trust mm. them, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, people make their right decisions and we'll have a better, diverse group of people in power who um, actually care about our individualities and our rights, and also about our country. We don't want Mm. what happened in Sri Lanka to happen here. I always say, you know, we have um, a country of 5 million people uh, in two isolated islands in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and we are exporting meat, feeding you know, it's like the kitchen of the hmm. world almost. And, and then I, I go to Indonesia and I'm like 120 million people or whatever. Um, India, the population is over in a billion.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and and you know, not only for example, India announces and says, "Hey, uh, we are actually dropping our environmental measures and we are going to use more coal." Right. And then what what exactly are we doing as a 5 million people to put our farmers in jeopardy, put the economy or country for an ideology with 5 million people across just two oceans? I mean, two islands? Mm. We are not even, like, collectively, we are not even one neighborhood in uh, India Mm. or China or Indonesia
0: Mm.
1: uh, or Iran. You know, 85 million people in Iran. Tehran, the city I come from, it's got about 18 million people to 20 million transitory. You know, it changes.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, you know, they're not making any measures. Why should we put people in our country who are feeding the world out of you know their livelihood and inflict so much um, uncertainty and you know worry and pain and poverty because our politicians want to jet off to davos and be like oh good job you know you listen to us well why that i just don't see the you know um logic behind it it doesn't make sense uh however you look at it for the interest of people in new zealand Mm. um i think look after our people and interest of our people first then you're in a position where uh, you know there is no poverty, we don't have homeless, the children are taken care of, um, families have jobs, we don't have our youth going and using drugs and ram raiding. Once we fix that, then let's talk about the global issues. Mm. Not right now. We can't even fix our own society and we're worried about the global uh, issues. I I, we, don't, I don't understand it.
0: Yeah, we can't fix up. If we can't fix potholes, how can we fix global issues? Exactly. There you are. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's probably about where we should leave this on those positive notes um, about voting and freedoms and all that. And uh, look, Gilder, I appreciate your time today. And uh, I think that the Reality Check radio listeners will appreciate seeing a little bit about who the real Gilda trick is.
1: Hi, Cam. Thank you so much uh, for giving me this opportunity and, um, you know, uh, giving me time to express my way. Although what I'm saying is most people are aware about it. They know about it. Um, however, some people are a bit shy. Uh, they're worried about their jobs. They're worried about what their fellow you know, colleagues, etc. might think of them. But I think none of this is made up. The, the, everything that I'm saying is actually in practice, it is happening right in front of our eyes. We've experienced it. The information is out there all we need to do is people to just take a bit more responsibility and educate themselves and be informed because this election, I think, is a game
0: changer. Yeah, game changer. It is very important and five weeks to go and only two weeks to go till voting starts. So it's very important that people are involved and uh, informed and that's the reason why I have people like you on my show. So Thank uh, you so much, Gail. Thank you. What an amazing woman coming from Iran and building a life in New Zealand she has a world perspective about the importance of freedoms and cherishing and protecting those freedoms that only a person who has experienced totalitarianism for themselves has. Let's hope we hear more from Gilda. Don't forget to send comments on Gilda's interview to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a Side of Controversy right here on RCR.